0: This is Cornstalks and Sports Talk, your go-to Iowa-based sports show, hosted by the one and only Elliot Clough. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call com or just stop
1: by Granger for the ones who get it done. What's up, Cedar Valley? And
2: hello to the Hawkeye State. This is Cornstocks and Sports Talk, your Iowa-based sports show here on AM950. K-O-E-L and KOEL.com. dot com. Hosted by me, you and I insider for Town Square Media, Elliot Clough at Elliot Clough on Twitter. Great stuff ahead on today's show. Nick Osin from 24-7 Sports and Cyclone Alert. He's going to help us preview that Iowa State versus Oklahoma game. Talk about what Iowa State Went through over this last bye week to improve as well as talk about his more recent article on Milan Momchilovich after seeing the four-star recruits in live action in Pewaukee, Wisconsin, or from Pewaukee, Wisconsin. He's going to be joining the Iowa State program in 2023 and how impressed he was. With Mom Chilovich and then Bucky Dent from the Southern Illinois, and he's joining us to preview you and I versus Southern Illinois this weekend. How important it is for the Salukis as well as for the Panthers, where these two teams match up, and who he thinks will win this game today in Carbondale at 2 p.m. on ESPN3. Of course, that Iowa State game coming up at 11 versus Oklahoma, that's in Ames. First, we always start the show with. A little bit of a, uh, what is the word, um, oh gosh, what's it called, uh, monologue, there it is, monologue by me, Elliot, and that is why two hosts are usually on sports shows, not just one. A monologue from me, Elliot, here on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk this morning on AM 950, KOEL and KOEL.com. What I want to get into this morning is a little bit outside of the coverage area of Iowa. You know, we could hit on the Kirk Ferentz, quote, apology, but I have an article on that. It's on the KCR, or excuse me, the KOEL website, KOEL.com. You can find that once we're done here, but... It's uh, We're just kind of beating a dead horse with, with ranting and raving about the Ferences right now, so I figured we'll open it up and get some of that national flavor we've talked about a little bit. We've hit the NFL a few times here on Core Stocks and Sports Talk, but not specifically really like this super frequently, so I want to get into it today. NFL MVP, Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Comeback Player of the Year, and Coach of the Year, where I believe things will end up and why they will end up that way at the end of the NFL season, where we're at considering we're halfway through and more. So that's what I want to do today is talk about those NFL awards, who I think wins them this season and why. So let's start off with the big one, NFL MVP. And I want to start there. Because this season is, I don't, it's kind of odd in that there are three quarterbacks to me that I think have a real shot of winning the award. This is after the last two years. Aaron Rodgers with the Green Bay Packers won the MVP. He's obviously not winning it this year unless he goes on an absolute tear over the next eight weeks and throws a gazillion touchdowns, and the Packers are actually good. And that's not been the case so far this season. So I don't think it's going to be a third in in a row for the Packers quarterback. The way I see it, it's between really, like truly, between Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. And, I mean, that's kind of... Disappointing to a degree if you're just kind of over the Kansas City dominance thing, but he hasn't won the MVP since the 2018 season. And in regards to Josh Allen, I think it's Josh Allen's time. I think that he has clearly shown that he's among the best quarterbacks in in uh, the NFL. He's just a bit behind Mahomes in terms of stats: 1,980 yards and 17 touchdowns through the air. Pat Mahomes 2,159 yards and 20 touchdowns this season. But where Allen has the edge is on the ground. 257 yards, two touchdowns on uh, the ground on the rushing attack as opposed to, let's see here, just 21 rushes and 113 yards for Patrick Mahomes. No touchdowns on the ground for him. So that's where Josh Allen has the edge to me. He's the up-and-coming guy. You know, the NFL and the media, not so much the NFL, but uh, between the two, the media Myself included, of course, I'm not an NFL MVP voter, but the media likes to go with the new story, the new guy, the the player that they haven't given the award to before. Sure, back-to-back years for, for Aaron Rodgers, like I mentioned, but I mean, he's in a situation that isn't necessarily super conducive to him being successful through the air, yet he was still uh, great. And so to me, it's between those guys. Other than that, Jalen Hurts, kind of, but he's only passed for 1,514 yards, six touchdowns. He has rushed for 293 yards and six touchdowns on the ground as well. But I think you have to be better through the air to really be considered for the NFL MVP. It's a quarterback award, you know, so I, I just don't see that happening. However... Offensive player of the year is definitely within reach for Jalen Hurts because he does both things. That's why I consider him for offensive player of the year as opposed to NFL MVP because when you're a quarterback and it's a quarterback award, quarterbacks are most known for throwing the football. Running is just an added bonus, and I mean, yes, the Eagles are undefeated so far, but is that really wholly due to Jalen Hurts or is he just getting a lot of credit because he's the quarterback, you know? So, I and I might contradict myself a little bit there, but I I see Jalen Hurts having an advantage at the Offensive Player of the Year position if he doesn't win the NFL MVP. And in regard to who else could be in contention for the Offensive Player of the Year. It's it's different here, too, depending on who wins the MVP, because if Josh Allen wins the MVP, they're not going to give Offensive Player of the Year to Stephon Diggs, right? If Pat Holmes, Pat Mahomes wins the MVP, they're not going to give Offensive Player of the Year to Travis Kelsey. That's just not going to happen. Though I do have those two, Tyree Kill and Justin Jefferson, in contention for the award. Justin Jefferson, because he's been phenomenal from the jump as an NFL wide receiver with the Vikings, He's with the Vikings. Kirk Cousins is, is his quarterback. And Tyreek Hill, if if the Dolphins start to regularly win, Tua becomes more consistently healthy, doesn't have the issues, and, and Tyreek can continue to put up crazy stats. I mean, his starting quarterback has been out, and he still leads the league in, in receiving yards with 773. Like, how can you ignore that? In regards to Diggs, he has more receiving yards by two yards to Jeff, Justin Jefferson, and he still has six touchdowns. And then when you look at Travis Kelsey... 47 catches, 553 yards, 7 touchdowns as a tight end. And if you play fantasy football and you regularly pay attention, you know that your tight end isn't scoring points more than usually about 5 or 6 Unless your quarter or your tight end is is Travis Kelsey, I have Dawson Knox, who is arguably one of the better tight ends in in the uh, NFL, and has Josh Allen as his quarterback. And I still get four or five points max from Dawson Knox most of the time. I went with Cole Komet the other day, tight end for the Bears, because he was my my tight end on my bench, and so the 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 prediction or the uh, the production didn't really change that much, even though Dawson Knox is on a buy and. So it was 1.7 as opposed to 5. So, you know, take what you will in regards to the tight end production. Anyway, that's why I have Travis Kelsey in the running or or to be considered for Offensive Player of the Year because he does so much at that position for them compared to the rest of the tight ends in the NFL. Just really don't. So to me, it's going to be either Jalen Hurts, Offensive Player of the Year, or one of three receivers in Travis Kelsey at, at tight end. Defensive Player of the Year to me here on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk on AM 950, KOEL, and KOEL.com. With me, you and I Insider, First Town Square Media, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter. We're talking NFL season awards, the way I see things shaking out in a couple months at the end of the season. Defensive player of the year, you know, I, I mean, I went through some of the favorites, the betting favorites, to see who was going to win. And, and I tried to maybe think a little bit differently than what the odds have. But, like, The way Micah Parsons is playing right now, it can't be anybody else. If you watch Micah Parsons play football, sure, like he's second in the league with eight sacks, eight and a half behind Matthew or whatever his name is, Judon from from the Patriots. But Micah Parsons does everything. Two forced fumbles, two pass breakups, eight sacks, nine tackles for a loss. You watch that guy and you think to yourself, that's the defensive player of the year. There's nobody else that's competing with him right now. There's nobody else that is drastically ahead of the league in terms of interceptions like a Darrell Revis would have been or, or what have you at any other point in, in time. And he's racking up the tackles. He just does everything, and he does everything at a high level. He would be one of the best pass rushers if he was strictly a pass rusher. He I mean, he can defend players that are faster than most other guys in the NFL. He can defend them in the, the passing game. I mean, he gets to your quarterback. He makes tackles. He's just a guy that opposing teams have to build their game plan around on a regular basis, and he still performs. So Micah Parson, I don't think it's really even up for debate at this point in time. Micah uh, Parsons, rather, Defensive Player of the Year to me. And then we get into more of the awards that might not jump out in your face, but are still to be considered uh, towards the end of the year, and and I'm not going to go to rookie of the year stuff just because I don't know enough. Like I, I've looked at some of these these names. I mean, I know Kenneth Walker was a stud at Michigan State, and he's been playing well for the Seahawks. But to compare him to the other rookies, I just don't have that that knowledge to see what he's been doing. Same for defensive rookie of the year. To me, it would be Sauce Gardner, Ahmad Gardner for defensive rookie of the year, and then offensively. I said Chris Olave at the beginning of the season, but the two favorites are Kenneth Walker and Damian Pierce. So you can decide for yourself there. But these other two, Comeback Player of the Year to me, and then uh, we'll get to Coach of the Year as well. But Comeback Player of the Year, it's a tough choice, man, because Saquon Barkley has dealt with so many injuries and had such talent, and it's been kind of disappointing to see how little we've been able to watch him uh, play in the NFL so far in his career and he's second in the league in rushing excuse me in yeah in rushing yards 726 he's behind Nick Chubb and then he also has four rushing touchdowns and on top of that the Giants are playing really good football and we'll talk about that in just a second but it's tough to ignore Saquon who's such a talent who's had so many injuries and he's finally back like that's that's really the definition of a comeback player of the year, right? And and so Saquon is is a hard, hard one to avoid there. Um, and then the second one to me, this is more of a feel-good story, and it depends on how, well, obviously, in reference to a few of these other awards, I've talked about how these teams finish, but it really is how this team finishes. Because if the Seattle Seahawks somehow win the NFC West, Geno Smith has to be the comeback player of the year. After Russell Wilson leaves, after he's been awful, awful with the Broncos, Seahawks were said to be a team that was going to tank. And Geno Smith comes in after being a very average quarterback at best, pretty much a career backup, and he's winning games for the Seattle Seahawks. 11 touchdowns, 1,712 yards through the air. I mean, I don't know how you ignore that. Like It's solely between those two at this point. Uh, again, I, I it's hard to ignore Saquon, but it's also hard to ignore Geno. If the Seahawks taper off, if they don't finish well, then it's it's clearly Saquon's award. But if Saquon gets hurt and Geno and and the Seahawks continue to win, I, I don't know how you keep it away from him there either. But that's that's my opinion on comeback player of the year. And then lastly, the last award we'll hit before we go to break here on corn stocks and sports talk. On AM 950, KOEL, and KOEL.com with me is NFL Coach of the Year. And these last three awards, like the first award, I think it's a small group of, of gentlemen that can win, and it's really down to these guys. Whereas Offensive Player of the Year, I, I think, is is open. One player I didn't mention is Cooper Cup, who won it last year. Would not be surprised if, if he's right there in contention um, at the end of the season. But... NFL coach of the year to me it's between three guys. And we'll talk about the first one here, Nick Sirianni, who took over the Eagles position last year, led them to a 9 and 8 season, and now this year they're 6 and 0 and clearly one of the better teams in the NFL. The issue with that to me is there were a ton of personnel changes and you know, you could you could attribute the success with the personnel changes to Sirianni. That's fair. But to me, you got to consider Howie Roseman in there for what he did this offseason. The GM for the Eagles, obviously going to be in, in the running, if not clear favorite for executive of the year. So to me, it, it's it's a byproduct of what Howie Roseman did this offseason. Obviously, Sirianni has to lead these men. He has to put together a system to that, that makes it work, etc. So Sirianni has to be in consideration after a 9-8 season last year and now 6-0. And this one is my favorite I think the hire was a freaking home run by the Giants after what happened with uh, their last coach Judge. They went four and thirteen last year. They're six and one under Brian Dayball. Dayball was the OC for the Buffalo Bills. He's come in. He's rejuvenated what we all thought was the end of Daniel Jones' career. Obviously, Saquon Barkley has been successful. The defense is astronomically better. Maybe shout out to Dane Belton there. That's our Hawkeye reference this morning on Cornstalks and Sports Talk. But Dayball has clearly got these guys to buy in. I mean, the success that they've had on the field, they're all pumped. They all run over to Dayball. They're all jacked. I mean, this guy has been the best hire in the NFL in the last probably few years, in my opinion. I love what he's done with the Giants. As a Chargers fan, I wish he would have been the hire instead of Staley. But here we are. He's he's with the Giants, and he's he's been really successful um, and so Brian Dayball is probably my choice. But then you got to go to Robert Sala, who has the Jets at 5-2 and two after a 4-13 and 13 season last year. Sala has been a guy that was, you know, we're keeping receipts. We're going to watch. And to me, what Sala has done is prove not only the league wrong, a lot of the people who discounted the Jets already – but me wrong, and that factors in to my choices here too. I didn't think the hire was great. I thought they should have gone with with a a young guy, uh, a guy who was offensive minded, Salah, a defensive guy. If I'm remembering correctly, I hope I hope I got that right. Um, but I'm gonna look that up here. But uh, the way that you win rookie or excuse me, coach of the year awards is by turning things around. And not only did he come in and see where he is at as a first-year head coach last year, but he came in and, and turned things around this year. They just beat the Packers. They've been really just so fun to watch and, and root for. Yes, he was a defensive coordinator. And as a team that has been consistently awful for such a long time. Um, so Sala has got to be in there for me, too. Um, ultimately, if I had to pick right now here on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk, Josh Allen MVP. Oh, geez. Travis Kelsey, Offensive Player of the Year. Micah Parsons, Defensive Player of the Year. Brian Dable, Coach of the Year. And this is to me. This is not necessarily what I think is going to happen. Um, and this is such a tough one. Saquon Barkley, Comeback Player of the Year take my advice if you want to bet on those again I don't think those are necessarily who's going to win but those who it will who those are who it will be to me for those awards my name is Elliot uh, Elliot Clough here on Corn Stocks and sports talk on am 950 koel and koel.com you can follow me on Twitter it's at Elliot Clough you and I, Insider for Town Square Media. Don't go anywhere. We got Nick Oson from 24 7 Sports and Cyclone Alert coming up next. We're going to preview that Iowa State Oklahoma game. And then we're talking a little bit about Milan Momchilovich. Again, don't go anywhere. We got more corn stocks and sports stock coming up. Iowa State coming off a bye week and desperate for a win this weekend as they take on Oklahoma and Ames today at 11 a.m. So just after we're done here this morning on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk on AM 950, KOEL, and KOEL.com. Still looking for that ever-elusive first Big 12 win this season. On now to talk about the game this weekend and more Cyclone stuff is friend of the show, Nick Osin of Cyclone Alert and 24-7 Sports. Nick, Cyclones coming off a bye week. What was the emphasis for for Matt Campbell and his team over this span of time without a game?
0: Yeah, my friend, it's great to be back, you know. So I, I think there were a couple, probably two major emphases, uh, you know, kind of going into this game later on today against Oklahoma at home. I, I think the first was obvious. It was rest slash health, right? You know, I, multiple times on this show, we've talked about some of the the injuries and and areas of health concerns for the team, namely at the running back position, it sounds like the team is really going to be pretty healthy, especially on the offensive side of the ball, compared to where they have been recently. So that is a huge thing. Not not only for the obvious that you want your best players, but against a team like the Sooners, you want to be able to run the ball, mix it in with the pass to balance against a not-so-great defense. And, And then the other thing was, I think, just kind of this idea of, you know, Coach Campbell talked about it this week. Self-reflection, self-evaluation. Like, look, let's be honest. You know, like, I, I cover the team. I'm I'm at just about everything. And it's pretty clear that, is their record great right now? It's not. But I feel that the team is better than their record is. Four losses by 14 points total. I was down in Austin. They I'll say easily because of the word should have beat the Texas Longhorns on the road. That was a top 21 team. And, you know, I just I feel like those some of those mistakes, some self-inflicted, some not have added up. So I think the bye week came at a fantastic time for all of that reflection. And now, as we'll see later this morning, early afternoon, it's the time to see if that can be put into action on the field.
2: Now, it seems like every week when when the losses have, have piled up recently over this last month or so, there's some sort of controversy at the end of every game, whether it's a call, whether it's, a, I don't know, a mistake by a player, what have you. Um, is is this something that Coach Campbell is is emphasizing during the game in order that – or during this time in order that – they don't have to worry about something like that happening at the end of the game. Control the whole game so you don't have to worry about it over the final, you know, two, three, four, five minutes.
0: That's a really good point, Elliot. You know, I think that part of it is doing that, right? Getting off to better starts, executing better, being able to, you know, kind of be consistent. That was another huge word that was talked about this week. Consistent, consistency, things like that. But I feel like some of them and, – and you're not going to catch me saying the refs have favored Iowa State. You're, you're also not going to hear me saying that they necessarily lost a lot of games because of referees because I, I don't think that's fair. And I don't think many people would honestly say that because Iowa State can play better than they have. But some of the mistakes and things that happened just simply weren't the fault of the Cyclones. I'll go to the Baylor game early – And then the Texas game late, man, it felt like Hunter Decker's fumble. It felt like something needed to be called there. Obviously it wasn't. And, you know, that's a game that, again, I need to see the Cyclones bounce back because if they don't, these little mistakes not only add up in terms of each, uh, you know, kind of game individually, but they can change the course of a season, Elliot, as, as you know, having covered football for several years. So it's, it's really interesting. And, I mean, you know me well enough. You know, I I love my job. I love being able to cover football. But I am so intrigued and and ready to watch and cover this game because I just, I feel like it can really change kind of the outlook and narrative of the Cyclones team. It can be, oh, they just keep losing these close ways and things are adding up for them. When are they going to get out of this rut? Or all right, they used the bye week correctly, they snapped out of things, and they just beat a Sooners team that still has plenty of talent from the last few years and now are still well on their way to a bowl game. That's kind of what I'm looking for as we continue on into Saturday.
2: A couple weeks ago, I told you before we started recording, we talked with Jared Stansbury uh, about some of the issues that that Cyclones are facing right now, obviously, not just the refs like we mentioned, but – on on offense he really pointed to that side of the ball being being one of the main problems as opposed to the defense which is kind of a uh common theme for the FBS teams here in Iowa right now um and what would you say is some of them are some of the main issues on the offensive side of the ball because uh I mean you got a, I guess inexperienced quarterback who's now about halfway through the season. You mentioned some of the health with the running backs. Is it some of the experience things that Hunter Deckers just hadn't seen before or hasn't seen? Or or would you point mostly to health? Would you point to maybe offensive line play? Where where does it where does it come from for the offense?
0: You know, I think you framed that really well. And Jared Stansberry, a good friend of mine, I'm guessing he probably alluded to several of these things. That's the way I'm going to take it. I think if you asked me first, you know, kind of to pick something, I will go back to the injuries because you watch recent Cyclones teams, you know, this isn't to make excuses like watch the NFL on a Sunday, at least as of last week, you'll see former, you know, Iowa State or former Matt Campbell running backs in games all over the day. Kareem Hunt from Toledo, obviously Brees Hall was tearing things up, David Montgomery, and even uh, Nguyen Wu on the Vikings that was at Iowa State. I use that point to say Iowa State likes to be balanced in their offensive attack and use a healthy run game within it, and that's why they have sent stars to the NFL. Now, it's just honest that without RB1 and Jirel Brock and impressive freshman, Cartavius Norton, they, they haven't been able to do that as consistently, you know, But again, I will give some reasons for optimism. They're healthy now, and the offense that I saw in Austin was a good offense. I'm not going to say it was, you know, the best in the country, but it looked much better than it had the previous weeks. That's against a talented Texas team with truly at least four stars all over the field on on both sides. And so I think that with that health, I'm the first one to say that I thought Tom Manning's game plan in Austin was fantastic as the offensive coordinator. That was really beautiful. Quite honestly, I I liked a lot of what I saw from the offensive line, especially on kind of some of those money downs, as they say, third and fourth downs, there was a lot of good. I mean, there was enough good to win the game. If you know, they, they execute one or two more plays in the last few minutes, obviously Xavier Hutchinson, you know, dropped that pass, but I don't think too many are going to come at him because he's really been the best player on the team all year. So I I think it's multiple reasons. Um, You know, there have been levels of inconsistency, I think I'd say, at every position. We just hit on, you know, running back and and wide out. Deckers has had some tough turnovers. Uh, There have been injuries along the offensive line as well. But I think it's all coming together. And I feel that you don't have to hit the panic button or start worrying unless they can't do something against Oklahoma because that defense is simply not good, especially that back six or back seven of that unit.
2: Again, we're talking with Nick Osen from Cyclone Alert and 24-7 Sports here this morning on Cornstalks and Sports Talk on AM 950. K-O-E-L and K-O-E-L dot com. So you mentioned some of the issues on the back end of the Oklahoma defense. What else do you know about the Sooners and what they're going to bring to the table in Ames, how the Cyclones match up, et cetera? What are you looking to uh, for this game today?
1: Yeah,
0: you know, actually, I, I'd say I feel pretty comfortable knowing this Oklahoma team. Shout out to my guy, Parker, uh, within the 24-7 Sports Network. We did a pretty in-depth podcast and so basically a couple names to know on on defense I can touch on, but I mean, what what you're going to want to know if you go into watching this game, if you're a cyclones fan, what have you, Oklahoma's still got a lot of talent on offense. Dylan Gabriel, the transfer quarterback, I believe from UCF, who's played a lot of college football, Lefty, uh, not necessarily going to like go crazy or impress you, you know maybe athletically or, or deep balls, but he is just a good quarterback. He's smart. Good leader, can make most of the throws, and doesn't turn the ball over a lot, Elliot. And that's something that the Cyclones defense has done very well with this year uh, in turning the ball over, really, since the first couple games of the year. Uh, Other than that, they've got probably a top two or three tailback in the Big 12 conference this year, and Eric Gray, I believe he's another transfer. And then Marvin Mims on the outside. He's been at Oklahoma for a couple years. Good receiver there. So they've still got weapons. I think I've felt myself not talking as much about that and about Iowa State's defense this week just because it's like I have full 1,000% trust in D.C. John Haycock and just what he has shown me this year. I think he's really one of the best assistant coaches in the country from what I've – one of the best coordinators, uh, I should say, in the country from what I've seen this year. I've just – I've been thoroughly impressed. And then on Oklahoma's defense, uh, they, they've got a couple you know standout players Danny Stutzman's a younger guy, I believe, at the linebacker position, and they've got a couple older players in the secondary. Uh, one at safety, one at corner. One has been battling some like health issues for the last three weeks in terms of a minor injury. Not sure you'll see him. I believe is uh, Bowman at safety, um, and then they've got CJ Colden at corner, who is similar to Colby Reader for Iowa State in that they've been in college football for over five years. So that's a name to watch out for, but. I mean, you throw Xavier Hutchinson, Jalen Knoll, Dimitri Stanley, they should be winning those one-on-one battles Saturday, um, you know, later on as we'll see. So, yeah, I think – I know you haven't asked me to make a prediction yet, but I think <laughs> a lot of those matchups do favor the Cyclones. I, Until proven otherwise, I have to say that because even though the, the wins haven't necessarily come, there have been a lot of good individual players and statistics as of late especially at wide out. I feel like they've kind of spread the ball around a little more. So it's going to be interesting. I, I do think you will see a decent amount of points later today at Jack Trice.
2: Okay. Prediction. Hit
0: me with it. Yeah, I just, you know, I know I'm kind of an optimist, but I, I do feel that the team's done too much good and has gotten too much uh, better in terms of health to not win this game. So I think Iowa State gets it. Uh, wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if Oklahoma gets off to a fast start. I will say Cyclones at home, I'll stick with it. You know, 28 to 25. I, I think it's going to be another close game. I could see Deckers go ahead, touchdown late. But, yeah, I mean, there's a reason Oklahoma opened as a slight favorite. It's not like they're a bad team. But to me, there aren't really any, any excuses for Iowa State not to get back up to 500 and pick up their first conference win.
2: You're at home. You're Matt Campbell off a of buy. I, I, I think this is, is going to be a Cyclone victory, too. They get their first win of the Big 12 season. Uh, again, Nick Osin from 24-7 Sports joining us this morning on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk on AM 950, KOEL, and KOEL.com. One final thing for you, Nick, before we let you go. Um, you recently went and saw me. Is – I'm hoping I'm going to pronounce this right – Milan Monchile, uh in-, in person, the four-star recruit, uh, co- committed to – to Iowa State in 2023 from Pewaukee, Wisconsin. You said he exceeded your expectations. What were your expectations, and and, and how did he exceed them?
0: He absolutely did. So that was my first time getting to see him, uh, I would say, extensively in person, obviously back in my home state, which was awesome. You know, the bye week came at a good time. And my expectations were that, you know, he'd be really tough to guard, fantastic jumper, and, kind of being able to score at will, which he did. But what I kind of hit on in the article, and something his teammate Nick Janowski, who is a target for Iowa State as well, what they both kind of showed me is it was almost as if, you know, some of those prime Jordan years, LeBron on the Heat, where I'm not, you know, making those player. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, whoa. But where it, it was like if the team needed something from them or they needed to flip the switch, boom, they could do it. I distinctly remember in one of the first games they were down one or two, and it was just like they started going between the two of them, Momchilovich and Janowski. They led an 11-0 run, and, and within under two minutes, it was a 10-point lead for them. So it was just kind of that ability to take over quickly. I'd say I also didn't know how good, and I, I told him this after, it was kind of cool chatting with him. We did an interview as well, uh, Momchilovich Milan, and I did. And I don't think I knew necessarily how well he could kind of create off the dribble for his teammates a little bit but also for himself. I mean, he's comfortably 6-8. I could see him getting to, you know, 6-9 by the time he's in college and and he's bringing it up in transition, he's handling, finishing through contact. I mean, you can go back to my reaction when he committed. I distinctly remember saying like, you know, put a pin in this one, come back to this one, uh Cyclones fans. This is a big one. But there's a reason he was getting offered from Virginia, Michigan State, UCLA, other programs were checking in. I don't get blown away by too many players anymore, Elliot, just because who I've fortunately been able to see and watch and cover in my in my life some of the all-time greats, quite honestly. But you know, he impressed me. They both did, but that that was focused on Momchilovich, and obviously he's committed to the Cyclones. And I just feel like offensively, I'm happy to put this out there. I think he's one of the 15 or 20 most complete players in the entire class.
2: Is he going to play right away at Iowa State?
0: I'd be a little surprised if he didn't. Uh, You know, I'm not sure kind of what exactly the roster will look like, and I'm not saying that to put pressure or, you know, saying he'll start or anything. But, yeah, with his shooting, scoring ability, size, and just his work ethic – I'd be a little surprised if he didn't at least get some run pretty early in his cyclones tenure.
2: You heard it here first on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk on AM950, KOEL, and KOEL.com with Nick Oson. Cyclone Alert and 24 7 Sports. Mom Chilevich, one of the 15 to 20 best players in the 2023 class. So, Nick, we appreciate you hopping on, man. Go give him a follow, everybody, especially for, for Cyclone stuff uh, at The Real Nick Osen on Twitter. He's on top of everything Iowa State. Nick, we appreciate you, brother.
0: Love being on this show, man. Thanks for having me.
2: All right, don't go anywhere. We got my conversation with Bucky Dent from the Southern Illinois and previewing the SIU versus UNI game that's happening today in Carbondale at 2 p.m. Stay right here on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com for more Corn stocks and Sports Talk. UNI is coming off two blowout wins at home. Now they're jumping on the road for the first time in a month to take on the Salukis of Southern Illinois. On to talk with us about the game and now on Corn stocks and Sports Talk. On AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com is Bucky Dent of the Southern Illinoisan. Bucky, let's talk about the game last week for SIU to start. Lost to previously one in five South Dakota. Stat wise, for the most part, you'd guess Southern Illinois dominated that game. What happened?
1: Well, what happened was there was this kind of feeling. I don't know if you read my Gamer or not from Vermillion, but there was this feeling I had throughout the day. That even though Southern was dominating the first half, they were going to be in some trouble because they missed some opportunities. They uh, uh, turned the ball over uh, late in the first quarter and gave South Dakota a six-yard field that it cashed in. And then after they took a 21-7 lead in the second quarter, SIU did the thing that Nick Hill always wants to do offensively. They gave up scores to end the first half and then to start the second half, a field goal to end the first half. And this, by the way, was with a backup quarterback after Bob Nielsen finally got Carson Camp out of there. He was struggling big time. They put in Aiden Bowman, the son of former NFL quarterback Todd Bowman, and he was very effective because he had a running game with him that maybe Camp didn't have. The big key to that game, in my opinion, Elliot, was that South Dakota had two backs over 100 yards. They were able to control the ball for the second half with the ground game. They did not put Bauman in a bunch of third and long situations where SIU's pass rush could tee off on them. And at the same time, South Dakota figured out a way to keep SIU's offense under wraps in the second half. On the last five drives of the game, SIU had just 50 yards total. So that kind of set up and put everything in motion where SIU blew a two-touchdown t- lead on the road against a 1-5 and five team and ate a loss. It really didn't need to eat at this stage of the season, which makes this game a whole lot more important Uh, for it than maybe a vital, let's say, for it than maybe it was at this time a week ago.
2: Now, in regards to that quarterback change, do you think that uh, that affected SIU in that they solely prepared for Carson camp?
1: I'm sure it did to an extent because this kid hadn't played until Saturday. Nobody had any film on him. Nobody knew what his tendencies were, this, that, and the other. And I can tell you about him. He's a 6'5", 240-pound lefty. He kind of moves in a gangly fashion, but he's just mobile enough to get out of trouble. He's not going to gain a bunch of yardage, but he can move around and and create time to throw. He throws a good ball. He throws good comeback routes and deep routes. So, no, no one had time to prepare for him, obviously. I still say, though, the big thing was that South Dakota was able to run the ball in SIU in a way nobody, not even Northwestern. With Evan Hull, there one really good player in offense who had over 100 yards up in Evanston last month. South Dakota ran the ball on SIU in a way nobody has all year.
2: And in referencing that, uh, before we before we continue into the more bigger picture stuff, I, I mean, I see uh, SIU ranks, I think what I saw is 11th in the FCS in in run defense. And so what did USD do that that made it so effective? Was it just they just dominated the line of scrimmage? Any injuries for SIU? What what was going on there?
1: No injuries. Um, I just think, well, one thing, I think USD had gotten some guys healthy up front. They maybe have had some injuries, and it's hurt their ability to run the ball. I like both the backs. They had Tyce and uh, Shamari Lawrence, just as they were described by Nick Hill last week, hard one-cut runners, and they lived up to that billing. Um, I, I just think SIU had bad run fits in the second half and South Dakota was able to take advantage of it and gain a rhythm offensively and was able to control the ball, the clock and ultimately the game in the second half. I think that was the that was the big thing. You know, SIU was ninth in the nation in run defense coming into that game. And even in the games they lost earlier in the year, it wasn't the run that was beating them. It was not being able to defend the pass so in this game. It was the running game that beat it.
2: Yeah, I know a lot of people were excited about SIU going into the season, and if there was a team to to expose the pass uh, issues on on defense, it was uh, Incarnate Word to start the year. That's a good football
1: team. Incarnate Word will expose a lot of people's pass defense. Lindsey yeah. Scott is a, is a better thrower than people thought he was, to be honest with you, yep. and his receivers. And, and the funny thing is the best receiver Incarnate Word has is a former Valley kid. Taylor Grimes started at Illinois State. Really didn't have a lot of impact at ISU, but he goes to Incarnate Word and he's an All-America guy all of a sudden. They've got speed in the outside. Their defense has improved over last year. They make plays behind the line of scrimmage. And I tell you what, if they get you down, there is absolutely no mercy. It's sweep the leg, Johnny, when it comes to Incarnate (laughs) Word. And they swept the leg quite a bit down in San Antonio on that stormy summer night.
2: Bucky Dent joining us here on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk on AM 950, KOEL, and KOEL.com on this Saturday morning. So prior to that game against South Dakota, I saw you had won five games in a row after starting 0 2, including that 31 24 FBS win over Northwestern and a 34 17 win over North Dakota, who beat you and I in that second week of the season. What's been going right for the Salukis, or what went right for the Salukis over those five wins in a row?
1: basically winning on first and second down on both sides of the football because they were able to get into good down and distance situations that made their offense very efficient, because they are able to get opponents into third and long defensively, they were able to crank up what's been a much improved pass rush. They have 29 sacks through eight games. Richie Haggerty has become a force rushing the passer. Uh, They've picked good times to uh, run uh, cornerback and safety blitzes to create further pressure as well and the pass defense has been a whole lot better since those first two games. Remember, SEMO beat them with something like 342 yards in the air and what was a very close game. The SIU still could have won were it not for a couple of very debatable P.I. calls in the end zone late in that game. But that's been the big thing. They've controlled first and second down on both sides of the ball. Their line has played very well of late. And they didn't run the ball that badly at South Dakota. They had 166 yards on the ground. Ramiro Elliott hit the century mark. So, you know, I think that's been the key winning first and second down on both sides of the football.
2: You know, obviously, uh, those are the two big wins that I mentioned, the North Dakota and and um, the the Northwestern win. Obviously, that's that's what's going to improve the playoff resume for for SIU. But how about these other victories over some lesser talented teams? I know they placed or played Western Illinois recently and Baker completed. I think it was twenty five of twenty eight passes. So. Do you think that the the continued trend of success on first and second down and improved defense? Do you think that might be a reflection of the opponents they've played more so, or is it has it been consistent, including those wins uh, against Northwestern and, and North Dakota?
1: It's been pretty consistent across the board. Uh, you look at the Illinois State game, and Illinois State is a team that I believe has a sneaky chance of getting into the playoffs. They're five and two now and that they won there might be a reflection of as much of getting getting away with one in a sense because they almost blew a 19 to nothing lead as it is the fact that Illinois State is apparently a better team than it was last year. Um, now, Illinois State maybe hasn't played the cream of the crop, but they did beat a South Dakota team that did beat SIU, so You know, when you play the comparative scores game, sometimes you run the risk of getting burned. And as Nick Hill has been fond of saying this year, every game is a one-game season. So, you know, I think we'll know more about Illinois State this week when they go up to Fargo, to be honest with you. I don't don't see them winning that game, but I see them making it a game. They're very good defensively. Their offense is getting a little bit better, it looks like. So, I, th- I think it's been, it's been to answer your question completely, though, it's been a very consistent thing, winning first and second down, no matter the quality of, of the opponent during that five-game winning streak.
2: Again, Bucky Dent from the Southern Illinoisan joining us here to preview the UNI versus Southern Illinois game happening today in Carbondale. So, in regards to, and obviously you just mentioned Illinois State. They beat you and I too in the dome. Twenty three, I believe it was twenty three twenty one as the final score, and they went that sort of dink and dunk offense, and and just get a few chunk plays You're here. way the, of
1: describing it. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so in, in the film, I've been able to watch uh, what it looks like to me from the offense for Southern Illinois. Um, is they just, you know, keep wanna want to keep opposing defenses guessing with the mixture of of Javon Williams in that Wildcat and then Nick Baker at quarterback. And it's a few of those plays, those five, six yards plays at a time. Um, is that assessment correct? Would you would you agree with me on that? It has
1: been lately, and the reason for that is the way opponents have played them, particularly the last couple of weeks, Western Illinois and South Dakota have not let them beat them over the top. They've wanted to keep the ball in front of them. And Nick Baker has grown into the type of quarterback where if you give him the deep shot, he's going to take it. But if you're going to play to defend the deep ball, he'll take all the uh, the short throws you want to give him because he's got guys that can make plays after they get the ball in their hands. I mean, Romeo Elliott has more moves than a chessboard. Uh, Javon Williams can moose you, overpower you, or as, or as Greg Marshall once put it about uh, a, a kid from Illinois State whose name escapes me, he can just beast you. You know, you know, and, and both the Cox brothers, uh, Avante and Deontay. Deontay's been the big story of the year. He hadn't caught a pass in a college game, basically hadn't played in a college game in five years, and he's been arguably their best receiver since the first game of the season. You know, and him and him and Avante both have been big time threats on the outside. And with the fact they lost their second leading receiver before the year started to a hamstring that apparently is going to keep him out all year, Deontay's contribution has been huge. Now, Northern Iowa will catch SIU this week without Tyce Daniel, a tight end who can stretch the field and go deep on seam routes over the middle. He's out with a shoulder injury. Jacob Garrett's a decent replacement, a good blocker, but he doesn't maybe possess the deep threat that Tyce does. So that may be another reason why you've seen SIU maybe throw shorter passes the last few weeks than maybe they were earlier during this winning streak.
2: Right, and I, I think I again I, I saw a ranking. I think they were a hundred and second or a hundred and eighth. One of those two is ringing a bell um, for yards per completion. Is that pretty indicative of, of what they've been doing too?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean when you throw when you throw short passes, you get short gains. I mean, not to sound simplistic about that. <laughs> every once in a while, they have the guys who can break a tackle and turn a five into a fifteen or a twenty or whatever. In fact, in the North Dakota game, one of the touchdowns was a slant probably a five yard slant over the middle to Deontay Cox. He turned into a 67 yard touchdown because he just split two defenders and just zoomed through them. Like they weren't even there, but they do take what the defense gives them. If, if you're going to, if you're going to play press or whatever, you know, they're, they're, they're capable of hitting deep shots. They showed that in the Missouri state game, you know, they had two or three deep balls in that game that helped turn that around, but they're just as willing to take that four and five yard underneath and bet on their, uh, receiver making that into a into a first down play
2: so flipping it back to the uni offense siu defense when when we're talking about the the defense for siu the first thing is that comes to mind is that rush defense given that they are 11th in the country in that stat um and you mentioned the the pass defense has drastically improved if there's a way to to beat this this siu team particularly for the offensive side of the ball for uni which which would it be? Is it, is it emphasize the run, emphasize the pass, try to mix both? What are you seeing um, that, that would be most effective against the SIU defense?
1: You know, I talked with Branson Combs for a feature I did for the Thursday paper. I talked with him after practice on Wednesday, and he thought going into this game that Northern Iowa will probably try to attack it the way it did last year when it won up in Cedar Falls. Coming out, using the run game, trying to pound the ball between the tackles and establish a little bit of dominance up front. So they are prepared for that. They know of field days, capabilities. Obviously, the stats don't lie. Everyone knows he can, he can throw the ball really well. He's got good receivers. But you got a guy who scored four touchdowns last week in Dom Williams, I think. And, you know, I think, you know, even with spread offenses, the thing most teams are still looking to do first and foremost is establish the run. And that sets up your pass down the field. So I think the Salukis are kind of prepared for you and I to come in and try to run the ball and get going with that, get into a rhythm and then be able to take shots off play action with Theo. So I think I think that's what you're going to see. I mean, I think they're prepared for you and I to come out and try to establish the ground game
2: not only that, but when you run the ball and run it successfully, you keep it away from that, that SIU offense and Javon Williams and Nick Baker. So that was definitely a a talking point within this last game against uh, Missouri state, but you know, that, that's a, that's a different conversation. (laughs) So as we wrap up here, Bucky, would you project that that SIU gets it done uh, this, this Saturday Uh, who wins, what's the score and
1: and why? I think it's going to be a good game. Um, I know SIU in past years has had trouble with you and I. Uh, the, the the big thing for them is it's not in the Dome. where Most teams have a lot of trouble winning up in the Dome in Cedar Falls, from what I understand. Uh, this is down here. The weather's going to be pretty nice Saturday, in case you're wondering. Upper 60s, cloudy, but not much chance of rain. So it should be a good uh, form for everyone to be able to display their skills. I think it's going to be a one-score game. I would guess SIU wins playing at home. They have a track record of bouncing back off some tough losses. Remember, before they won at Northwestern, they'd lost that heartbreaker to SEMO to drop to 0-2, and, and everyone just run around saying, what are they going to do now? This season's on the verge of disaster. You know, So they found a way to win that and get a winning streak going. I think their attitude, just talking from a couple of players and Nick this week, I think they're in the right place mentally to, come, to bounce back and, and win what really is shaping up to be a very big game for both teams. I would guess we're going to see something along the lines of just, just uh, I don't know, 27 24, 31 28, something in that neighborhood because you got two good offense. It's going to be hard to hold both of them down. It could come down to a turnover here, someone making a kick there. I mean, th- just a little thing. I mean, that could, that could really decide this game because I think these teams are very evenly matched.
2: We will see. That game is at 2 p.m. on ESPN 3. He is Bucky Dent at Writing Ump on Twitter, which is the perfect handle for uh, what I see on your on your Twitter page here, Bucky. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today, and uh, we'll we'll see who comes out with the win.
1: Thank you for having me, Elliot. Good talking with you. See you up in Cedar Falls in January.
2: All right folks, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Corn Stocks and Sports Talk here on AM 950, KOEL and KOEL.com with me, you and I insider for Town Square Media, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter. Don't forget before you leave if you're listening on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Play, etc., you leave that rate and review. It does help us out a lot. Subscribe, download the pod, follow, etc. It helps us out more than you know. And once again, my name is Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter. I'm a UNI insider for Town Square Media. And this was another week's episode of Corn Stocks and Sports Talk. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done.
0: At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies.